because he is an absolute believer in the facts, in the supernatural conception of the Lord Jesus. And let me tell you, Luke didn't write casually. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 1, and you'll notice that he's writing to uh, his friend here, Theophilus, and he says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. We're talking about faith here. We're not talking about a quiz. We're talking about facts. We're talking about truth. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is our radio broadcast from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. And I trust it will be an opportunity to just praise the Lord on this Christmas Eve to tell the story of the Savior's grace, His love, His mercy to sinners. He has come into the world to redeem His people from their sins. For this reason, He was called Jesus. And today we have some great hymns on Christmas night. And oh, come, all ye faithful. Firstly, let's read a little of the account from Luke 2. And verse 36, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her, and Mary arose in those days, and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice, and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. On Christmas night all Christians sing to hear the news the angels bring. On Christmas night all Christians sing to hear the news the angels bring. News of great joy, news of great mirth, news of unmerciful King's birth. And why should men on earth be so sad since our Redeemer made us glad? Then why should men on earth be so sad since our Redeemer made us glad? When from our sin He set us free, over to gain our liberty. sin departs before His grace, then life and health come in its place. When sin departs before His grace, then life and health come in its place. Angels and men with joy may sing, hallelujah to our King. Night. All out of darkness we have light which made 
You can be absolutely sure that the modernists, the liberals, have battled heavy over this text. And they try to come up with, this is not just a virgin, this is a wrong translation. It simply means a woman. A woman shall conceive. And of course, that just knocks the whole thing flat, takes out of it the supernatural, and that's what liberals do. But men like Machen, those who knew their Bibles and were convinced of the importance of this doctrine, stood their ground. They would rather be thrown out of the church or the seminary and start anew than surrender the gospel of the Lord Jesus on these terms. Now, in defense of this word, by the way, very simple defense of it, the word Hebrew, the Hebrew word there is Alma, and when it was translated into the Greek Bible, about 300 B.C., it was translated Parthenos. And in the Greek world, that was known as a woman or a girl of marriageable age, but one who is under the tutelage, the guardianship of parents, locked up, if you will, protected from the gaze of men, until the day of their marriage. And so the reference here is unquestionable. And in the Old Testament, this was the hope. This was the sign. This was the promise that God would one day send a Messiah to save his people. So the prophets of the Old Testament believed it. Mary herself believed in the virgin birth. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 38, and, and we'll find Mary's response. What is this young girl going to do with this news that she is to be with child without a man? Verse 38, Luke 1, Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, in her youth, innocency, you might say, well, she was just being kind and gentle and accepting of this revelation that was given to her. But did she always believe? How did she believe when the child was born? How did she believe when the child was taken to the temple and Simon prophesied of the great things this child shall be for the rise and fall of, the, of generations and nations? Did Mary question and doubt? Surely we know that Mary, who knew Jesus best all of her life, believed even right through to her dying day. Mary stood around the cross. Mary watched the Lord Jesus in his death. Mary heard those words of Christ, it is finished. And she believed in that word. And we could go down the line to 
to look at the song that she sang and the theology that she grasped, she understood that Jesus was her Lord, her Savior. If Mary didn't believe, we would have problems. But the fact that she believed, she becomes one of the strongest witnesses to the miraculous conception of our Lord Jesus. Then also, Dr. Luke believed. We're reading the Dr. Luke's book. He was a medical doctor. I don't know how much medical training he had. I don't know how much knowledge he had. But he certainly was a man who was interested in these things. And he wrote the book on the Incarnation. It's interesting when you compare Matthew's Gospel, Mark, and John, you don't get these kind of details. You don't get the insight of the how and the when and the why of how can these things be. Likewise, on the death of the Lord Jesus, it is Luke who uh, records the record of Jesus expiring on the cross and how his blood flowed out with blood and water. It was Luke that recorded those things, and he has done so here because he is an absolute believer in the facts, in the supernatural conception of the Lord Jesus. And let me tell you, Luke didn't write casually. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 1, and you'll notice that he's writing to uh, his friend here, Theophilus, and he says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. We're talking about faith here. We're not talking about a quiz. We're talking about facts. We're talking about truth. Even as they deliver them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So these were people who knew and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So Dr. Luke is a tremendous witness and a good reason why we can, without a shadow of doubt, accept the doctrine of the immaculate conception of our Lord Jesus supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. He dealt with proofs. He dealt with witnesses, people that were alive. He interviewed them all. He heard their stories. He recorded Mary. And these things are recorded for our faith. Then I move on. I believe in the virgin birth tonight because the Lord himself believed in his own supernatural conception. Go to Luke chapter 2, verse 49, and you'll know the story of uh, how the Lord Jesus got lost, and his mother and father found him in the temple, and you'll remember that slip of tongue of Mary, and she said, your father, thy father, and I have sought thee sorrowing. That's Luke 1, verse 48. And, of course, the Lord Jesus was in the temple. He was conversing with the learned there. And his response in verse 49, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? 
Who did Jesus think his father was? Not Joseph. Not Joseph, but his heavenly father. Now, your margin might say uh, what mine says here, uh, that I must be about my father's house. And the Lord Jesus, he was to pray, how come it took you so long to find me? Surely you must have known where to find me. I must be about my father's business or in my father's house. And if you look at verse 50, you'll notice how they missed the point. They understood not the say which he spake unto them. And so they were a bit in the dark. And it tells us he went down with them and came to Nazareth, was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. She continued a believer, and she accepted this rebuke of the Lord Jesus, that he was going about his heavenly Father's business. Now, we're not going to do this tonight, but if you read through the gospel so often and in so many places, you will find the Lord Jesus talking and teaching about his Father. Uh, for example, when he went into the temple and he cleared out the money changers and he drove them out with a whip, he said to them, take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And so it was just natural to the Lord Jesus to talk about God as his own father. John 8 uh, he says, My judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that hath sent me. If you ask Jesus, where did you come from? I came from my Father in heaven. And he said that so often. Now, there is a very important one, John eight 19. I'd like to share this one with you. John 8, verse 19. Then said they unto him, where is thy father? Oh, that was a great question, wasn't it? Could you imagine? That was just giving the Lord the platform. Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. Now, I wasn't talking about the uh, Joseph uh, that once lived in, in Nazareth. Not at all. He was talking about his heavenly father. And as we're in John 8 here, go down to verse 28. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my Father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your Father. Ah, uh, that was the devil. Boy, what a sharp quip that was. My Father is the God of heaven. Your Father is of the devil. No, no uh, mincing of words. No lack of pointed truth there. And then John eight forty nine, verse 49, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And the last one, verse 54, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me. Now, can you answer the question, did Jesus believe in his immaculate conception, his incarnation being conceived by the Holy Spirit? Did he consider Joseph, that carpenter in, in Nazareth, as his true earthly father? No, no. The whole ministry of the Lord Jesus was with the premise 
that he was the son of the living God. We could look at the I am's of the Lord Jesus. What a wonderful study that would be. And then the prayer of the Lord Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer as he prayed to his heavenly Father. Let's look at the first few verses, John chapter 17. And a person who was not really the son of God, a person who was merely the son of Joseph, well, he would be a great imposter to pray like this. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son. Did Jesus believe that he was the son of God? Undoubtedly. The hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given. And this is life eternal, that they should know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. What language? Do you pray like that? Is this a prayer that you're to make your model? No, 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 no. That would be sacrilege. That would be blasphemy for you or me to pray like this. And Jesus, who is the truth, and who knows that he's the Son sent from the Father, he prays in these terms, glorify me with the same glory that you have. This is the whole ministry of Jesus, the Son of God. And he said, Father, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again. In my Father's house are many mansions. This is the, the language and the ministry, the promises of the Lord Jesus. And then on the cross, when he cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. Right to the cross, right to his dying hour, he ministered, prayed, and taught us that he is the Son of God. He believed with all his being that he was sent by God. And so I believe, and I'm not ashamed tonight to believe, that Jesus is indeed divinely conceived, supernaturally born of Mary, the Son of God, the Son of Mary, God in the flesh, 100% God, 100% man, in one unique person who is now the perfect Redeemer. Now, what does the virgin birth mean to us? Well, God has given us a great Savior. It is no overstatement to say that God has given us a great Savior. He is perfect. He is the great high priest. He is the one that is of our bone and of our flesh and of our nature. And he has grace, infinite grace, to save his people.
also have a sympathizing Savior. That was our theme of in prayer meeting on Wednesday, that we have not an high priest who can be, cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He truly does know us. He is not a God afar off. He is not a king in a distant throne. But he came down into this cursed world. He took our nature. He bore our very lives, and he took us and our sins to himself. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. He is the sympathizing Jesus. What else does it mean to us? That when we get to heaven, we're going to see the body of Jesus. We're going to see that same body that came from Mary's womb, the same body that walked and ministered, the same body that was crucified on the cross. And we'll see the nail prints in his hands and the riven tear in his side. It will be a glorified body, of course. It will be much more glorious than when he was on earth. At least on earth, the flesh hid his glory. We know that from the transfiguration. In heaven, somehow the glory will shine constantly through that beautiful body of the Lord Jesus. And then what really comforts our hearts, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, when you go to the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus is described there as the lamb. I do not believe that we will see a lamb figure. We will not see wool and sheep's ears and cleats. We will not. The lamb refers to the Redeemer. He's the lamb of God that beareth away the sin of the world. It is in his body that we will worship him. And the Lamb reminds us that we will worship him because he was in that perfect body that he poured out redemption by his blood, his sacrifice. And that will be the focus of our worship and our praises for all eternity. And it will be our wonder for the eons of time in heaven, the wonder of the Lamb. And it began in Mary's womb. And this week, we are going to enjoy the benefits of our Redeemer. Do you have peace with God tonight? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Are you on praying terms with the living God? That comes from the sacred, redeeming body of Jesus. Are you a child of God? That's because God sent his Son that we should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the wonder of it all. Oh, if only we knew our theology. If only we knew our doctrine. If only we knew what led behind those pregnant words, God made the Word to become flesh. Let us never lose the wonder of our Lord Jesus. Let's worship him. I really mean that. Worship him. Let's glory in him. Boast in him. Tell the world that he's our Savior, and he lives within our hearts. What does the virgin birth mean to us? Everything. 
And like Machen, we would rather be put out of the church or out of the seminary than to stop preaching, teaching that Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. To give that up, we lose our souls. To give that up, we surrender the gospel to modernism and the wicked devices of hell that's always against the light of the world. So let us pray for backbone. Let's pray for spiritual courage that we will be counted amongst those who stood up for Jesus. And maybe this week, pray the Lord will give you that word that will glorify him. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.